Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. Well, if you would mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the New Testament book of 1 Thessalonians. The book of 1 Thessalonians. The book of 1 Thessalonians, and if you don't mind, we're going to begin at chapter number <coughs> uh, 1. The book of 1 Thessalonians and chapter number 1. The grandest fact of the past is that Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, was made into the likeness of men. He robed himself in flesh and dwelt among us. But his work was not done at Calvary. Of course, he died on Calvary. Then he was buried on a borrowed tomb. And he rose again the third day to live forevermore. He spent 40 days on earth with his disciples. And then he ascended up to heaven with a promise that he would come back to for us. And that's one of the grand things is that Jesus Christ is coming back. This is where our hope is that Jesus Christ is going to come back and do what he said he was going to do. Notice if you don't mind in the book of 1 Thessalonians in chapter number 1. And notice with me as we just jump off in verse number 10. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse number 10. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Notice in verse 10, and to wait for his son from heaven. We are waiting that he is coming again. Jesus promised that he would come again. John chapter 14 said that, that I'm going away, but I'm coming again. In Acts chapter 1, when Jesus ascended up to heaven, the disciples are all looking up, trying to see where he went, and you would too. Just trying to see, you see a speck, is he gone? Is he falling? Where is he at? So much that they were staring there, angels had to come and kick him and say, what are you guys doing? He said he's coming again, now get to work. But there was these promises that he's coming again. In fact, there are two major themes that are woven through the scriptures from top to bottom, from cover to cover. The first grand theme is the scarlet thread of redemption. That throughout the pages from Genesis to Revelation, you could see this scarlet thread of redemption. What does redemption mean? It means to buy back. That Jesus Christ purchased us and our payment in his blood. And you see that woven through the scriptures all the way from the beginning. When man fell, God already had this in place. And um, the book of Genesis 3 and verse 15, we're not turning there, is what is called the Proto-Evangelium. It's just a big fancy word that said the first promise is salvation. God gave the first promise of salvation while he's dealing with Adam and Eve when they disobeyed him in the garden. And we could see that scarlet thread woven through scripture, describing, picturing, showing, telling us about Jesus Christ purchasing our price, paying our sin debt that we owed God, and paying it full, free, and forever. The second grand theme that is woven throughout the scripture is not only the scarlet thread of redemption, but the golden strand of Christ's second coming. 
that all the way from the very beginning, you could trace this golden strand all throughout the pages of scripture. This is a great theme, a great emphasis that God has placed in the Bible that Jesus Christ is coming again. And it is our great hope. This isn't a New Testament doctrine. This is a total Bible doctrine that woven throughout the pages of scripture that Jesus Christ is coming again. He's going to establish a kingdom here on this earth where he's going to rule and reign forever. This is a great theme throughout the entire scriptures. So when we study this, we are studying a theme where God has placed the emphasis. So often we place a major on the minors and minor on the majors. But we should place an emphasis where God places the emphasis. If God places an emphasis on his redemption, that should be something we're very familiar with. And if God places a great emphasis on the second coming of Jesus Christ, that should be something that we place an emphasis on ourselves, knowing that Jesus Christ is coming again. Now, as we turn to a further study of this great event, the Apostle Paul wrote two letters to the church of Thessalonica. In these two letters, he dealt with the two stages of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Remember, we've explained this before, but let me catch you up. That the second coming of Jesus Christ is one major event that comes in two different phases. The first phase, Jesus Christ will meet us together in the air. This will be one that's hidden from the rest of the world, but the dead in Christ shall rise first and us that alive and remain shall meet him together up in the air. He's going to gather all of those who have accepted Christ as his savior to himself up in the air. Then there's going to be a small period, seven years of tribulation, but then the second phase of Christ's second coming occurs where Jesus Christ comes back visibly, bodily, and literally here on this earth. And so this is going to be important as we study the second coming of Jesus Christ to know that there are two phases to this coming. Why are we mentioning it now as we're looking at the book of First and Second Thessalonians? Because First Thessalonians places the emphasis on Jesus Christ coming in the air, coming back for his saints. The book of Second Thessalonians places an emphasis of Jesus Christ coming back visibly, bodily, and literally here on this earth. And so that way when you read those books for yourself, you're not confused. You understand they are talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ, but each one is uh, tackling a specific phase of Christ's second coming. Does it make sense now? We're just trying to make sure everyone's thing that when we talk about the second coming of Jesus Christ, it happens in two phases. There's a period of time in between those two phases. The first phase is what we call the rapture. Jesus Christ is calling us away unto himself up in the air. Then we are coming back with him as he comes back in physically, literally, and upon this earth. So if you don't mind, let's kind of just dive through and look at the book of 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians and see a little bit more of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Let's see the first picture, Christ coming for his saints. Christ coming for his saints. The entire epistle of 1 Thessalonians points to the coming of Christ. Let's just hit a couple passages before we stop where we're headed to. Notice with me 1 Thessalonians 2. And notice with me in verse 19. First, or First Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 19. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? 
Are not ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are a glory and joy. Notice this. We are looking forward to the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ to come for us. We are looking forward to Jesus being here and bringing with us everyone who's accepted Christ, our loved ones before, our friends and family, people that we've went to church with. This is our great hope is that this is not it. We have hope of eternal life, of living somewhere together. That is the great hope for us is that when we die, that's not it. Aren't you glad that it's not just dirt and worms and darkness? We have something after this. This is our great hope and joy that we have something beyond this. Notice with me 1 Thessalonians chapter number 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, it makes mention of this. Again, throughout this whole book, it's placed in a great emphasis. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 12. <clears throat> and the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one towards another and towards all men as we do towards you, to the end that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all of his saints. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 13, uh, 12 and 13, it's saying that God's working on us and, is, and building us so we can stand before Christ unblameable and in holiness and be established. He's doing a work with us that while we're on this earth, he's not finished with us. He's trying to mold us and make us into something that's pleasing unto him. And that way he could present us like a gift to God. God, look at what I've been doing. This is what I've been working on. You know, it's almost like um, someone who's been working on a secret project for their spouse or some kid who's been working for a secret project in their, their family and they've been working hard on it and they've been building it and now they get to present it. This is what I've been doing. This is what I've been building. That's what Jesus wants to do with us. He wants to present us and said, God, this is what I've been doing. Look at this prize here. Hopefully you're making yourself moldable and pliable in his hands so he can make something out of you rather than resist and fight. But he, that's his goal is he wants to present you something where he could brag and say, look at what we've been doing, God. Look, this is a gift for you. Then we come to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, what we would call the main event. Now, for those of you who've been with me for a while, you know that I refer to this passage quite often. Because this is a great passage. The Apostle Paul, as he traveled, someone asked him a question. Apostle Paul, if one of my loved ones died before uh, Jesus Christ came back, what happens to them? And that's a legitimate question. Remember at this time, there was no real New Testament that was established. They had the oral tellings of what happened with Jesus Christ. They may have had the book of James, but other than that, there's not a lot of Bible written for the New Testament. They had the Old Testament. So it was a legitimate question, Paul. You spoke a lot about Jesus Christ coming. What happens if my loved one dies before Jesus Christ comes back? And so with pen and paper in hand, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul answers that question. Notice with me 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 13. 
1 Thessalonians 4 and 13. It says, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. That word ignorant means to lacking information. I don't want you to lack this information. I want you to know what I'm talking about, understand it for yourself. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Remember the word asleep in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, is a nice kind Bible way of saying that they are dead, that they passed on. So I don't want you to be ignorant concerning those people who have passed on before you, who have died before you. Notice this, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. He says, listen, I don't want you to have to mourn and wail like someone who has no hope that they're going to see their loved ones again. There is a difference of funerals to perform a funeral, to be at a funeral, to attend a funeral of someone who does not know Jesus as their Savior, has no hope. Those funerals are different. I have watched people leave in the middle of the message, come up and drape themselves over uh, the casket, weeping and wailing, saying, I'll never see them again. There are people who have no hope of seeing their loved ones again. Those are awful funerals. But the Bible says that we can have a different funeral. That we can have, uh, that ye sorrow not as others have no hope. For a Christian, if we know that they've accepted Christ and we've accepted Christ, funerals are different for us because we know that it's so long, see you in a little while. It's not goodbye forever. There is a different hope that we have that we can still have a peace and a joy. Remember, joy is not happiness. We're not saying we go to a funeral and everyone's smiling. But we're saying that there can be a peace at a funeral. Why? Because we have the hope of the Bible, true hope, a confident expectation of something sure to come, that Jesus Christ is going to do what he said he was going to do, and that we can have a comfort even at a funeral. I'm going to see them again because God promised it. There is something different about this. And that's what Paul is writing. Notice as he continues, he explains and is answering this letter that was given to him, this question, verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so also, uh, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. So notice, here's the qualifiers. This isn't for everyone. Here's the qualifiers. First of all, do you know for sure that you die, if you die today that you go to heaven? Do you know for a fact that you've been born again? Have you accepted that free gift of salvation? Not are you religious, are you Catholic, Baptist? That's not what's asking. Do you know for sure if you die today that your sins are forgiven? This is that qualifier. If you know for sure that you've accepted Christ as your Savior... And notice this, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus. So here it's saying if we know Jesus is our Savior and the person who died knew Jesus as their Savior, we have the promise of God that we will see them again. Now, if we don't know that they've accepted Christ as their Savior, we don't have this promise. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you don't have this promise. This promise doesn't cover everyone. By the way, as someone who deals with death as a chaplain and as a pastor, don't preach people into heaven. Now, we don't want to be mean to them and tell them, well, you know, they split hell wide open. We're not doing that either. 
But you want to be very careful that you say, if you've accepted Christ as your Savior and they've accepted Christ as your Savior, you have the promise of seeing them again. We are putting those qualifiers in there. Um, so, you know, want to be very careful. If they're the worst, evilest person in the world and they never repented, well, then you maybe don't have this hope. All right. I'm just saying for those who are dealing with people, be very careful with this, that the qualifiers are very important. If you've accepted Christ and they've accepted Christ, we have this promise. Verse 16, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of the archangel and the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. Where class? In the clouds. In the clouds. So notice this is the first phase of Christ, the second coming of Jesus Christ. We're going to meet him together in the clouds, meet him together up in the air, that the dead in Christ, those who are died before us are going to rise first. And then we, which are alive and remain, shall meet him together up in the air. We're going to meet Jesus at that time, at this period of what we would call the rapture. The rapture is not a Bible word. However, it is a word that describes a Bible event. The word rapture means to call away. And so it is an appropriate word because we're getting called away. We're being raptured out. We're being brought out of this world to meet with him. Good. Verse 17. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Now notice verse 18. Wherefore comfort one another with these words. I'm so thankful that we can comfort one another. That the second coming of Jesus Christ is a very great comfort to those who are believers. We have the promise of God's word that if we've accepted Christ, we will see everyone else who accepted Christ at that time. That is a great comfort. That is a great blessing. For example, I have to face the reality, one day I will get old. My body feels like it, but I'm not old yet. One day I will get old. And one day, unless the rapture occurs, I'm going to face death. And one day, my kids will have to, presumably, deal with my death. But when I die... I have the comfort because my kids have accepted Christ as their savior. I get to see them again. So even on my deathbed, that could be a great comfort that I'm not saying goodbye forever. I get to see them again. And it may be a while. I hope a good long while. I hope they live a hundred years after I die. Please don't die today. Um, <laughs> but you know, I hope they have a long extended life, but I don't have to worry about it because I get the promise that I'll see them again. What a great comfort the second coming of Jesus Christ is to those believers. What a great encouragement that we have. But then we have the second picture, Christ coming with his saints. The book of 2 Thessalonians goes on and explains more. So 1 Thessalonians places a great emphasis of Jesus Christ meeting us in the air. The first phase of the coming of Jesus Christ. The second book of Thessalonians puts a great emphasis on the second phase of coming of Jesus Christ where Jesus Christ comes in the ground physically and bodily and literally. Notice if you don't mind some things that we see about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Second Thessalonians chapter 1. 
2 Thessalonians chapter 1, and notice with me in verse number 7. First, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 7. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire now taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's a lot to unpackage right here. Notice if you don't mind. It says that first of all, Jesus Christ is going to come back with his mighty angels. When he comes back physically, bodily, and literally, Jesus is coming back to establish his kingdom on this earth, the millennial kingdom. So he's coming back with all of his forces. He's coming back with his angels. By the way, he's coming back with us. You say, well, are we going to do a lot of fighting? No, it's going to be pretty boring. Jesus is going to say where and they're all going to be gone. But um, we're going to be there. We get to watch. But he's coming back with everyone. If he's going to establish an earthly kingdom, he needs all of his subjects of that earthly kingdom to come with him. So he's coming back with angels and he's coming back with us. What is he going to do? Notice with me in verse 8 and 9 again. And in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Now remember, this period of the tribulation, Jacob's troubles, is primarily... uh, to bring the Hebrew people back to himself. And during this time, people are going to have a chance to accept Christ as their savior, but they're not. The Bible explains in Revelation chapter number five that the people, the kings, the the rulers, the uh, great people, the small people are going to be hiding in the dens of caves saying, please fall on us mountains. Hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. Now, I don't know how many of you have got to do ranch work or farm work, but nobody's afraid of the wrath of a lamb. You see a little lamb come to you and he's a little mad, you'll laugh at him. It's kind of like a little girl tries to punch me and I just, (laughs) you know, you're not scared at all. Unless the little girl's like full grown and then, you know, you get really scared. But I mean, but you know, you take a little uh, three-year-old who punches you and, you know, it's, eh. A little lamb, no one's afraid of a little lamb. There's not a lot of wrath there. So when they're saying, hide us from the wrath of the lamb, we know that the lamb is another name for the Lord Jesus Christ. They know exactly who it is that is bringing down judgment. And they still refuse to turn and repent to him. They would rather die than accept Christ as their savior. So what's going to happen in the tribulation, Jesus Christ is going to come back and anyone who has never accepted Christ as their savior, they're going to be destroyed at this time. Remember that the millennial kingdom is going to start with no lost people. Jesus is going to start off with a perfect kingdom with no um, buddy who is not saved in this time. What else is going to happen? Notice with me first, uh, Second Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 10. When he shall come to be glorified in his saints, to be admired in all of them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. What's he coming to do? He's coming to be glorified in his saints. That when he establishes his earthly kingdom, he's going to be glorified. We're all going to recognize him as ruler. We're going to recognize him as King Jesus. We're going to recognize him as God. We're going to recognize him as the rightful heir. Jesus Christ is going to rule and reign. 
And when he comes back, he's coming to be recognized by the whole world that he's in charge, that he should be glorified. What else is he going to do? Second Thessalonians chapter number two. Second Thessalonians chapter two. Notice with me verse seven. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed. Remember, we've been talking about this the last couple of weeks, talking about the Antichrist. This is the person of the Antichrist, that wicked. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him who's coming after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders with all deceivableness and unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they may be saved. So the Antichrist, as you remember, is going to be against God and he is going to stir up the remaining population, all those who have taken the mark, all of those who have chosen to follow the Antichrist and be deceived by him. They're going to attempt to fight against God. They're going to stand before God and say, listen here, God, you're not coming down. You're not ruling. We're not going to let you. That sounds ridiculous, but that's what YouTube sounds like right now. We don't want you to tell us what to do. We're not going to let you rule. We're not going to. And uh, you can imagine how that fight's going to go. Not well. Some people believe that the forces of Satan and the forces of God have to be held in balance. The yin and the yang. That is Eastern theology. It is not biblical theology. Satan does not match power with God. God wins every time. Satan is trying to overthrow God, but that is not true. There is no balance. God is God. Aren't you glad that we don't have to keep the evil in balance? That'd be horrible. We trust God and his goodness to work and to work at all time. And so God is going to come down and he's going to wipe out the Antichrist. As much as the Antichrist, now remember, catch you up, some of you may have missed. What's going to happen is that the Antichrist, the person is going to die and Satan is going to imitate a miracle and he's going to robe himself in the dead flesh of the Antichrist and make him seem like he rose from the dead. And he's going to have all the power of Satan. By the way, Satan has power and he's going to look like a superhero, magical powers and whatnot. And he's going to deceive a lot of people. Now, we know Superman's not real, but if Superman came down and was evil, do you think a lot of people would follow him anyways? Absolutely. I haven't kept up with comics in a while, but I'm pretty sure that's still the thing, right? You know, if a superhero came down and uh, look at how strong and mighty I am, look at my magical powers, look at all my other stuff, people would follow him. That's what the Antichrist is going to do. But as much power as Satan has, it matches nothing to God. With even just a word, Satan is defeated. So, so much for this big clash of battle. God's going to say, you're done. And he's done. Aren't you glad that God has that much power? No big deal. And so he's going to come destroy the man of sin. And we're going to see what's going to happen in the next couple lessons. But let me give you a hint. Satan gets dragged to prison for a thousand years. And then he gets cast into hell. And there's nothing he can do about it. God won. Period. We read the end of the book. God won. I want to be on that winning side. Now, this is just to encourage us that the second coming of Jesus Christ is a big deal. It is the 
the uh, golden strand that is put all throughout the Bible. All throughout the Bible, it speaks about Christ's second coming. We just did a, um, a series on the millennial kingdom. All that is, is that golden strand speaking about Christ's coming, that Jesus Christ is going to come and rule and reign on this earth. He's going to set up a perfect kingdom and that you have the opportunity to rule and reign with him. That the second coming of Jesus Christ is our great hope. Why? Because we don't have to be in this filthy place anymore. We know that we're going somewhere else. The second coming of Jesus Christ is our great hope. Why? Because I have something after death. I have something to look forward to that when I die, that's not it. I'm not worm food. The second coming of Jesus Christ gives me hope. The second coming of Jesus Christ is our great comfort and hope. Why? Because if I've accepted Christ and my loved ones accepted Christ, I have the promise of seeing them again. This is a big deal. A very big deal. Why is the second coming of Jesus Christ a big deal? Because that's when he defeats all of evil. Satan's going to be defeated. We don't have to worry about him anymore. Man, I'm looking forward to those times when the spiritual forces are taken care of and put away and Jesus is going to rule a perfect kingdom. I'm going to look forward to that. almost wish it'd happen now. But it's not God's timing. But I have something to look forward to. The second coming of Jesus Christ is a big deal for all of us. It is our great hope. The Bible calls it our blessed hope in the book of Titus. The book of Romans calls it our saving hope. The book of 1 Peter calls it our living hope. Oh, we have true hope because of Jesus Christ coming. So it comes down to a question. Where's your hope at? You can live a while without food. You can live a while without water. One thing you cannot live without is hope. And we live in a place where hope is being dragged away from people all the time. I was at a suicide for four hours yesterday and listening to the family kind of describe the situation that was going on. That a series of events just occurred and he got to the place where there was no hope. And he couldn't live because there was no hope. We live in a world that's trying to take away people's true hope. Not an imaginary hope. Let's define the word hope. A lot of people use the word hope as something wistful, as something imaginary, something like the wind. You're trying to grab a hold of the wind. But that's not how the Bible uses the word hope. The word hope in the Bible is a confident expectation of something or someone sure to come. When we have our hope in Jesus, it's not a wishful thing. It's not a wistful thing. It's not, well, I hope it doesn't get 90 next week. Good luck. Keep wishing. It is a concrete hope. I have a promise of God and I'm putting my confidence in his word and that hope fills me with encouragement. It fills me with a confidence. It fills me with a joy, which is a peace. Why can I have a peace that passeth all understanding? Because I have hope that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. You understand the world is trying to take away people's hope. But I'm thankful we have a real hope. And in order for more people to survive this awful world, they need hope. Where do you get hope, by the way? Do you sit here, close your eyes and, I need hope, I need hope. Where do you get hope? From your Bible. You're like, I knew you were going to turn to the Bible reading eventually. Yeah. The greatest thing you could do on a daily basis is to read the word of God for yourself. 
Why do Christians not have hope? Every single time I've dealt with a Christian who has no hope, it's because they haven't been in their Bible. Every single time. Now, there may be an exception somewhere, but I have not run into it. We know that depression has a cause. There's always a cause for depression. We could find it out. By the way, why do people not come to me when they have depression? I'm convinced there's some people who just want to be grumpy, want to be depressed, want to be angry. Have you ever met someone like that? They're determined they're going to be grumpy and angry no matter what. You don't have to be. You can get help. And we'd be glad to show you real hope. Why are you making a big deal out of this? I don't know. I get tired of showing up to death scenes. I get tired of showing up and too late and listening to the stories of someone who decided to take a shortcut, decided to end it, and all hearing the same thing because they had no hope. I'm trying to prevent. I'm trying to tell you that there's a real hope. There's something to look forward to. There's forgiveness. Bitterness eats people up. It destroys them the inside and takes away their hope. I'll teach you how you can have forgiveness towards other people, even to people that don't deserve your forgiveness. Like yourself. Amen. Why do people have a hard time forgiving themselves? Because they don't like the person in the mirror and they don't think they are deserving of forgiveness. Listen, God looked at you and forgave you. And you're not better than God. If God is willing to forgive you, you should be willing to forgive yourselves. We can have hope. The Bible offers us real hope. And I'm thankful that the second coming of Jesus Christ helps provide that hope. That if you've accepted Christ and I've accepted Christ, I have the promise I get to see you again. That because of the promises of God are true, I have the hope that this is not the best I'm ever going to have. I've got something better waiting for me. He's gone to prepare a place. We can be people full of hope and joy. Remember, joy is not happiness. Joy is a peace that passeth all understanding. A peace that doesn't make sense. You know, you can have a peace in the hard times. You can have peace when it seems everything's against you. You can have peace when it seems that one event after another happens. Where does that come from? It comes from God. And he's provided it through his word. As a reminder, if there's anything I can do as your pastor to help encourage you, to point you to hope, to help show you forgiveness, to help with depression, I want to show you that there's a hope in the Bible. Don't put your hope in me. I'll fail you. I'm sorry to tell you. I'm going to mess up. I'm human. But you put your hope on Jesus. He'll never let you down. Put hope in his word. His word is always true. What a great God that we have. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you could give us a call at area code 920 920- 
920-530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.